You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Grateful to see your faces. I, I, um, I assumed we'd be an intimate group as I looked through some of these statistics and found only 2% of the population is that or breaks that thousand, um, thousand member mark. With that said, I want to just make sure you're in the right place. Uh, the 10,000 room is next door. Uh, it's just in case you uh, transpose some of those numbers. I want to make sure you are in the right place. I'm always interested in barrier breaking. It doesn't have to be necessarily um, within the church context, in the church world. I'm just, I'm just fascinated with barriers being broken across the board. Um, with that social Social barriers, ideological barriers, um, practical, creative barriers. I, I just like seeing barriers broken. And I came across a story, it's a true story, a true account of the first time the sound barrier was ever broken in Merrick Field by a man by the name of Chuck Yeager. And Chuck Yeager, before this point in time, the British had tried it a few times as they went up in their aircrafts and got close to the sound barrier, the speed of sound, which is 760 miles per hour or 660, depending of that altitude or where you are with regard to that. Um, the closer they got to that barrier, all of them found that the plane began to shake. As the plane began to shake, the, um, the, the, the bolts would begin to loosen and almost always as a natural instinct, they would let off of the throttle and the plane would be ripped apart mid-air. And so um, Chuck Yeager has this as a backdrop as he gets into this, this uh, attempt to break the sound barrier. And with this backdrop, Chuck Yeager is preparing for his flight. Challenge is he gets in uh, an accident before the flight, actually breaks a couple of ribs, realizes that they're is uh, they won't let him fly if he goes in that condition. So he gets an insider, someone to partner with him, to agree with him. I'm trying to give you preaching material just in case. It's, it's, it's peripheral, but, but, but you can illustrate this. He gets someone who will agree with him, gets him in the plane. He makes some makeshift handle uh, from a broomstick that allows him to close the cockpit. He goes up into the sky bandaged, uh, bruised, and he takes off. He gets close to that sound barrier, 760 miles per hour. The closer he gets to that barrier, like the British, the plane begins to shake. And I mean, he knows what's gonna happen because he studied this. If he lets off of the throttle, the plane will be ripped apart midair. But Chuck decides to do something completely different. As opposed to letting off of the throttle, he looks at the shaking, everything that's happening on the plane, and he does something outlandish. He said, well, if, if it's gonna be torn apart, I may as well do it doing something no one has ever done before. As opposed to letting off the throttle, he actually pushes on the throttle. They hear for the first time on the ground from an aircraft, a sonic boom. The reporters are down there on the ground, people are waiting for him. His team is cheering him on. He gets back down to the ground. The reporters stick a microphone in his face and they said, Chuck, how was it 
to break the sound barrier. He doesn't talk about the shaking. He doesn't talk about his anxiety. He simply looks at him and says, you'll never believe how smooth it is on the other side. And quite honestly, I can't think of a better parallel when it comes to these, these barriers we come up against as it relates to ministry and our ministry growth. I mean, you've heard about them. Some statistics have different uh, um, measures. Some say 200, 250, 500, the 750 mark. But there are some unique challenges. There's some unique pressures once you get uh, to, again, breaking that barrier. The same way the plane shakes, the operation will shake. The personnel will shake because the operation is held in a greater tension as we push through that threshold of uh, the 1,000 barrier. Just a quick story for me about me. Um, I took over church. I'm not an ARC church plant, but I'm an ARC uh, a partner, a member of ARC. I pastor a 58-year-old church. But um, when I tell you, again, my journey, I'm as close to a church plant as you can get. Because my grandfather pastored the church in Long Beach, was one of the leading churches in the community. He got up in age. And uh, I came to visit him from school. I didn't want to go to ministry. I wanted to go into law. But I came home to visit. And as I was sitting there in the church, he got up in age, couldn't do what he used to do, had Alzheimer's and dementia. And um, it, it, it felt like, that's the best description I have of this. It felt like the ministers that were there were circling like vultures. It wasn't what I observed with my eyes, but it was just the felt sense spiritually. They were it's almost as if they were waiting for him to, to die so that they could take it. Um, long story short, I came back. It broke my heart. I didn't know at the time in my early 20s that this was a burden for ministry. I went in the parking lot, cried, walked away from what I had planned and said, let me just come help you. He didn't give me any specific position. He wouldn't even call me youth pastor. He just said in front of all the folks, he's, he's my helper. I didn't know there was an official title, helper, but he did that often. But over the years, again, just we're going from one service to beginning to speak at all the services. We went from about 180 uh, members there, pretty close to a church plant. Most of your launch days if you plan it, we're much larger than that, um, to uh, a little over at about 2,000 folks. Now, this is our West Coast, so you know numbers in a general sense are relative uh, depending on where you are. And uh, as Pastor Champion talked yesterday, everybody's territory is difficult. We're, we're all wrestling with something, struggling with something. You know, some people want to go straight to the Bible Belt, not realizing that there are certain things uh, as it relates to breaking traditions and protocols that you have to deal with if uh, you're there. So we're all dealing uh, with something. Let me give you a sense of my background. You know, we read that Rick Warren Purpose Driven Church years ago, and he talked about identifying first. He calls his person, identifying a person in his community, Saddleback Sam. Well, I'm in Long Beach, California, and I'm here to announce there is no Long Beach Larry. There isn't. <laughs> it is not a monolithic environment. It's one of the most culturally, uh, culturally diverse environments in the country, in the top three or so. It is um, uh, extremely um, uh, uh, liberal. Most folks don't have a high view of scripture in a general sense in the public square. Uh, we have one of the highest LGBTQ plus um, populations. Our new building, our closest neighbor is a drag bar. We're on the same block as Harvey Milk Park. We're excited about that. 
We're looking forward uh, to the opportunity to be a blessing uh, to that community. But back to the comment, there is no Long Beach Larry. And so we have to navigate uh, through, again, have had to navigate through challenges um, that, that, that many haven't. And I wanted to just qualify, uh, again, that, that, that barrier, that growth and that um, crossing that threshold in an environment uh, that is difficult uh, by every stretch of imagination. When he talked about a preacher's graveyard, you know, that's the running joke that Long Beach is a preacher's graveyard. Yet we're seeing God do miraculous things, not only through our context, there's so many there who are uh, approaching ministry in a unique way. Um, we went through various transitions. We've gone through from, again, 180 people. We've gone through 200 barriers, 500 barriers, 750 barriers. But this one, I would say, took the most intentionality. It took the most intentionality. It's where the ship shook <laughs> the most. And out of all of our transitions, this is the one that took the a personal recalibration, like a personal recalibration. Now I wanna look at three areas. I'm gonna look at this from three vantage points. Number one, what had to shift internally? Some of the things that we did externally and then we're gonna look at the composition of our team if we get there and I wanna add something at the end, I think uh, can't be left out of the conversation. Now I wanna say this ahead of time because I realize you're looking for stats figures, facts, and clear strategies. But if you've ever read Daniel Pink's book, A Whole New Mind, and you read that, A Whole New Mind, he, he suggests that we're moving out of, or we've already moved out of the information age into the conceptual age. Because of Asia, abundance, which is what he calls abundance and automation, he says the, the landscape is completely shifted with things being outsourced, with there being a need for greater craft, uh, creativity. And in a general sense, he says, people won't listen to what they can Google. So I'm gonna try the best of my ability not to bore you with what you can Google yourself. We'll, we'll go through that quickly. We wanna jump into some of those things um, that you can't just Google. First thing I wanna cover is what will be under the category of internal the internal barrier, that's the mindset you need or the conversations you have to have with yourself. I think before we ever get to the strategy, we've got to talk about the mindset that we have to carry in order to uh, break these barriers. First of all, I think it's clear you're here at ARC and they have already done a great job of ensuring that we are not anti-growth, that we are not anti-growth. First, again, internal conversation we have to have with ourselves is that growth is not bad. Now, I know you know that. This is the AP class, right? But growth, without question, is not bad. But when you get to, again, that barrier, the threshold of breaking the thousand threshold, what you'll find is Guilt will set in for many of you. Guilt. Number one, guilt for, because for the first time, the demand exceeds 
your personal management capacity. The demand, the sheer demand for what you bring, for what you give, exceeds your personal management capacity. If you're extremely gifted, up until this point, even at 750, I mean, you can keep your eyes on things. You've known, or you, I'm sure you're delegators, but you can, in crisis, manage most things. But this, again, is the threshold where the demand exceeds your personal management capacity. And thoughts concerning, the second thing is thoughts concerning how responsible, responsible or ethical growth is becomes an issue. This is where you start wrestling internally about, you know, how responsible is this? Is this, is this biblical? You know, you, you, you stay up. There's one of the scriptures, one of the passages that haunts me. And the indictment in the Old Testament book of Isaiah against the pastors, it, it says, and they heal the wounds of my people, Israel, superficially. Well, that's one of the things that keeps me up at night. And are we healing the wounds of people superficially? How intentional, intentional are we about the discipleship process? This is, again, one of those internal battles, internal tensions, where many hit that barrier like Chuck Yeager and back off of it because they feel as if to cross that threshold, they're not as responsible because there's not as much personal interaction. Again, the, your, your capacity, the demand exceeds your personal ability to manage, and this is where you're concerned with how responsible or ethical your growth is. This is where it becomes an issue. Number two, you need, in many respects at this point, a theological framework, a more robust theological framework for what it is you're attempting to accomplish. Now, in, in, this, in this instance, the pendulum is going to have to swing, it needs to swing to responsibly, um, excuse me, the pendulum needs to responsibly swing toward, number one, God's sovereignty. Trusting, trusting that God is at work with you in the process. As intentional as you've been before this point, as many people as you've touched, at this point, you're going to have to lean a little bit more on God's activity in your church. Number two, you need, um, or excuse me, B, you need a history lesson from the first century church. Realize that it wasn't as polished as we made ministry today. It doesn't mean that we don't function in excellence. It doesn't mean that we're not um, intentional with our systems. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But it's giving yourself a little breathing room, realizing that growth takes some risk. And without question, you won't be able to cross every T, dot every I, and you have to be okay with that. Another thing as it relates to internal mindset is that we need to watch false equivalencies. Again, that tension between how responsible am I as I cross this threshold becomes an issue. False equivalencies where we pit depth against growth. You know, you have folks that 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 have created entire theologies about staying small and they pride themselves in their movements on being extremely deep. But again, we have to remember that possessing both is quite possible. And where you have, we don't want depth without growth. 
And we don't want growth without depth. When you have depth plus growth, it increases kingdom influence. And so there are amazing movements where people are real deep, and that's a whole other conversation, often based on the skill set of that senior leader, whether they skew more toward apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. You, there are certain things felt if there's not a, a healthy balance around that senior leader in those ministries. So there are extremely powerful ministries that don't grow because people are radically impacted because they have the prophetic edge there without the pastoral grace there to nurse people. So there's, you know, the, the environment is rich, it's, it's deep, it's impactful. But, you know, often, you know, it can be intimate if they're not intentional about the composition of that leadership structure. And then other times you have folks that are extremely pastoral or they gather folks, but there is that edge missing. It can stay a little fluffy. So the idea is to have both depth and growth. Where there's depth and growth, there's increased influence. A healthy church always has the deep and the immature. We have to be okay with that. Some of us, you know, have become embarrassed, especially as a guest speaker, and there are people that aren't worshiping or they're not engaging in the same way. We want everybody at the same place, but healthy churches have, again, the immature and the mature together in the same house, and we have to be okay with that. There are some who have studied growth at this barrier because they're unwilling to have both in the same uh, house. But a healthy church always has the deep and the immature. The goal is to move them into, again, as you've heard at every stage, a more intentional process. I love what uh, Warren does with his, Warren does with his, with his, with his layer, his onion from, you know, I have to go over and re a review of this, but from the community all, all the way to the core. Yeah. You want to ask yourself, what, what is my process to move them from community to the core? core? And at this uh, threshold, I have to be more intentional about that. Another thing is, as relates to this internal conversation is, what is the relational architecture of my life? Who are the people I'm surrounding myself with? Because of what I found, and this is a bit spiritual, we'll get to this at the end, that there are spiritual attacks that come at thresholds. The concentration, the, the, the enemy will always concentrate his greatest forces, temptations at thresholds, whether that's Nehemiah, and he, they get to the point where they're getting ready. They haven't closed the breach yet. It wasn't when they started, but when they almost closed the breach at the threshold of completing the project. Jesus in the wilderness, at the threshold of starting his earthly ministry, Satan throws everything he can in him. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I can go down at the threshold of the promised land. Moses experiences his greatest temptation, frustration, and breaks obedience to God. He can look as he goes up to Pisgah. He can see in, but can't go in. At the threshold of new places, new opportunities, barriers, there's all, often a concentration of, and don't be spooked out by this. I love it. They've set the groundwork already, but demonic pressure. Often in the form, it manifests through people. Do you remember when Jesus... Asked Peter, who do men say they am? He said, uh, Thou Christ, Son of the living God. He said, Man, you shouldn't even have known that. Flesh and blood did not reveal that. That's amazing. But then a few lines down, we find him saying to the same guy, Get behind me, Satan, as he attempted to stop him from going to the cross, right? Mm -hmm. 
So whenever, again, there's a threshold. He's moving into another um, uh, uh, level of God's uh, um, uh, assignment for his life and ministry. And again, there's a concentrated force against him. And it often comes in the form of people. When you're at thresholds, the people that will emerge in a general sense are those who will say things um, that are inconsistent with where God's taken you. Perfect example, I had a friend uh, just remodeled my ministry, uh, our church the first time about seven, eight years ago. And we're in the middle of remodeling it. I had a friend, great friend, who's a real deep friend. You know, powerful ministry. Um, he could tell you what is in your left sock drawer at home. Powerful guy. He, he impacted my life so much. But as he walked through my building, I had him walk through the new remodel. He stood on the edge of the stage. He looked out. I thought he was going to give me an encouraging word. You know what he looked at me and said? He said, you have to let the, your heart to see crowds. Let it die. I'm thinking we just remodeled the building so that we can accommodate the crowd that God was already bringing. He stood at the edge of my, my stage after giving him a tour and he attempts to speak me out of, talk me out of the growth that we're already seeing or we're preparing for. One of the things you can trust is that, again, if the relational architecture of your life is not intact in these transitions, um, uh, you, you generally don't break through those barriers. So that's internal conversation. Let's look at external uh, conversation, external barriers. I ran track for the legendary Long Beach Poly High. I don't know if you know about that. You know, you're local. But uh, the home of the scholars and champions is Sports Illustrated um, High School of the Century. You hear me? Not the decade, but the century. More NFL players came out of Long Beach Poly than any place in the country. Go Jackrabbits, all right? But I ran track there, and literally any kind of, uh, um, we had fast twitch coaches. We had um, things people have at first-rate colleges, D1 colleges at our local high school. And uh, they would tell me, you know, I would work hard, I would hustle, I had natural ability. But they always tell me, you know, you know get, get your knees up, pump your arms. And there was all these technical things that they threw in. And I, I really did it because I beat most people I ran against. Until the threshold changed and I started competing against people that really knew what they were doing. There's a guy by the name of Obi Moore. I don't know if you know, but Obi Moore ran against Michael Johnson for the Olympic prelims as an 11th grader. <laughs> and I, my job was to run anchor leg for the relay team and we get to the anchor leg and us and John Muir we're neck and neck they passed the baton to me at the same time as Obi Moore and I'm looking at him sizing him up I'm saying he's a man just like me only to find that I get the baton he gets the baton we start running and we're neck and neck for about five yards. <laughs> Obi does like that, takes a big breath, breathes it out. I see him relax. His form changes. He starts pumping his arms, and I'm, I'm hustling with everything in me. I'm striving to try to keep up with Obi. Obi just starts lifting his knees, 
and extending his legs. And when I tell you, it, it was the most beautiful thing. Have you ever had someone do something so good, even if in a competition with you, that you just look and marvel? I'm racing him. My coach said, keep your head in the race. You know, I'm looking how beautiful it was. He just, he just literally embodied everything that they were telling me to do. And when I tell you, you know what those people, those people movers in the airport that move you along? Where you could be walking on the side and someone's just talking on the phone and they're at the same pace. It was like he was on a people mover. He was doing the same things, but I watched him just float away from me, incorporating all the small nuances, all the small tweaks that my coach was telling me about that I never put into practice. Now, can I say that this break the thousand uh, member barrier is sort of like that, in that it is no longer just your hustle or your gift, but it's the willingness to apply, appropriate, to make those small tweaks, adjustments, to run the plays that will give you the small advantage and separate you from the rest of the pack. Mm, It's It's those tweaks. And so there's nothing revolutionary there's very little as it relates to these, these, these practical, technical points I'm going to give that you, you haven't heard. But there is, like track, there's, there's, there's something about seeing in practice what, what, you, what you've heard about. You've been coached on it, you've gone to the app sessions, you've heard from leaders in the main sessions, but I think, again, that relational architecture is important. Running with people are connecting yourself with people, or running alongside people who beautifully put those things together, those technical skills that allow them to, again, break these barriers. Let's look at a few of those. And because this is, I'm not gonna insult you with the things you can Google. I'm gonna go through this really quickly, all right? So we're gonna bullet point these, and if you need one, grab it out of the air. If you need to stop me, stop me. So let's look at the, um, the techniques. Number one, a need for systems. A need for greater systems, to polish your systems, not to come and say we're going to incorporate that one day, but to incorporate the systems immediately and then constantly refine those systems depending on your context. Quantifying how and what your church does. You you can get to, again, the 750 mark and depending on your context, maybe beyond that. But where we are after that 750 mark, we're having to think about, quantify things that just happened often through revival or through, 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 by, by mistake. Has anybody ever stumbled into <laughs> the breaking of a growth barrier? But when you get to this place, without question, you have to start quantifying how and what your church does. Before this threshold, you may be able to get away with single layer management. That's you giving oversight to uh, the operation and its leaders. However, making the process clear to both staff and membership um, um, helps with greater ownership and ministry growth. So uh, refining our system, being clear about what those systems are and making it clear to those who are, again, not only a part of our staff, but the membership on a whole who hold them accountable. Um, Investing in another... Quick bullet point, consultation. Take advantage of those who have worked in a broad range of churches through issues such as these 
in, hear this, in similar context. You know, years ago, we were part of um, a denomination who um, got a lot of great best practices uh, from, from Lifeway Research, and they've evolved uh, in many respects as uh, you know, we have great respect for uh, um, uh, Lifeway and, and, uh, and our roots, our, our SBC roots. There was a time early on when I was wet behind the ears of ministry and going to some of the trainings, whether it was Sunday school and in thoughts concerning ratios, like you need to have as much you know, building space, classroom space as you do auditorium space. Good luck in urban city centers, right? And I give you example after example. You've gone to the same conferences. You've tried to apply the same things. But again, consultants that have a, a, a unique cross-section of churches, when they come into your context, uh, they're able to pull best practices and compare apples with apples. It's, it's a game changer. Because there are pressures we put on ourselves to try to apply things to break growth barriers that just, in many respects, don't work as well in our context. So there's a need for a specialty like never before. Bring your people along on the journey and put the specific challenge before them. As crazy as it sounds, we're, we're, used, we're used to um, moving people without them realizing uh, that we're moving them. But I think it's important to name this barrier. Teach them the kinds of things that arise when you get to make them a part of the challenge. Tell them this is the barrier we want to break in attendance and solicit their help. Again, put the journey and the specific challenge before them. Because what you'll find is there are various motivations and your motivation for growth in a general sense does not match your people's. So, so there's going to have to be a closing of the gap there. Your motivations for growth don't always match your people's motivation for growth. You want to grow as a pastor. You want the church to grow as a pastor. But what they hear is less personal time for them. What they hear is or what they'll, they'll feel like they'll feel as if they're, they're just another name. So I think it's important to shepherd them through that. They see growth as inconvenience and less attention for them. But again, they are your biggest ambassadors in breaking this growth barrier. Think about new service times that you're offering. Think about the service times you're offering. For any gathering over 70%, some stats 75%. You should be thinking about a, a new a new service offering. It communicates that there is room to grow. Number one, it communicates that there's room to grow. Number two, to visitors, um, it makes them feel a little less uneasy. I mean, we we're, we're on the inside, so if we see. In a one open seat, we'll climb across 10 people to get that open seat. Visitors often look for open sections, right? So we get to about 70%, 75% capacity, you know, and again, you'll hear things from people that are not strategists in your context. And I hear it all the time. When we went to um, start a third service at, at one point, 
Um, you know, we had people in our office, you know, office saying, well, there's still room at the 8 o'clock service. And we're talking about adding a 12.30 service. And they're talking about the 8 o'clock service. They don't understand. They have to learn these dynamics. I have to walk them through this because, again, my second tier of leaders were fighting against the move I needed to make to create more room. So I had to communicate to them. I had to, to, to teach them that, again, this is a barrier. There's a need for this. And so we have to get used to having three services with only one truly being to capacity. And as I've gone across the country and spoken for many of my friends with the reputation of I mean, amazing reputations and with tr- truly 10,000, 15,000 members in attendance, one of the things I found is none of their services are full. I mean, maybe the prime time, one of their services is full, but again, there's still a part of us who, if we could shed a little bit, and I know we're humble, but the rock star approach. We don't feel as if, we, we don't feel as if we're moving the needle unless, again, the place is packed out. Because we're thinking sold out shows and not expansion. But most of the, those who are expanding um, are uh, creating new service options, new service days when they reach about 70% um, capacity. The other thing it does is personally for us, it challenges us. I found that we plateaued the moment our services were packed. Because no matter how godly you are, how much of a vision for your city or for the world you have, there's still a little ego on your shoulder. I know I wouldn't get any man if you hear a rat lick ice. Right? There's still a little ego on your shoulder. And the reality is, um, if, if, if you see a packed place, sometimes that takes your motivation for expansion. When you, see, when you see room, you think creatively about how to continue to get people there. Let me skip around a little bit. Um, another thing is, you will find there's a whole new harvest for morning services. Morning people are morning people. And again, the assumption is if you're good, they'll come to your 10 or 11 o'clock service if they enjoy themselves there. But there are people, morning people have a routine. And for some of you who don't have an early morning offering, even before you need it, creating an early morning offering will draw a completely different demo. Getting past the challenge of hiring, please hear me on this. This is one of the biggest challenges. Getting beyond the challenge of, particularly for church planners, hiring for what you can do yourself but can't get to. If you planted your church or God's grown it through you, you can do most things well. In fact, if you're halfway intelligent, decent IQ and EQ, you can do most things well. But there is a challenge. Um, You'll get to a place where there are things you can do but have to hire somebody for there are things that you can accomplish yourself, but you have to now pay someone for it. It was the hardest thing for me to do because I became extremely critical when I could do it myself. As I'm watching the money, and so many of us are used to watching the money, when you start thinking about the money going out for what you could do, I mean, you scrutinize it. You, you, you don't invest in that post. You don't invest in that position. But the reality is, 
the expansion at this level is not for, not, not because you can't do it. The expansion at this level is potentially for what you can do but just can't get to. And so that, that expansion of staff uh, is important. Before this point, you usually hire for what you can do well, but you have to hire for what you, or what you can't do well, but you have to hire for what you can do well as well. All right? Get the shifts more consistent. As you know, 1.7 people who are card-carrying members of your church, card-carrying members of your church only come 1.7 times a month. I mean, our real good members come two times a month. I mean, that's the card-carrying members. Now, everybody else, the people that come every Sunday, they're working, they have a job there. Or they're involved somehow. But the average people, again, we're working on getting deeper, right? But the average people come a couple times a month. So, again, you already broken the thousand barrier. You're already at two or three thousand. If people just come on one Sunday, you'd be good, right? But these are people that resonate with you, they connect with you. And so one of the things we do or talk about is getting the shifts up. We say they come in shifts. So we try to think about how can we get the shifts that people are coming in up? What sorts of opportunities can we create to get the people who are already connecting with us, who are already members in the same place at once? Now, this is going to sound real corny, not cutting edge or cool, uh, but more series preaching. More series preaching. Now, if you're like me, I start a series in the second week. I said, how many were here last week? And 50% of the people raised their hand, other 50. You know, you, you tell me you have to go get the podcast, right? But it does help with the shifts, sometimes by 25%, sometimes uh, by more. But again, when you series preach, you create, uh, you upset equilibrium, you create an itch that has to be scratched later. What it does is it draws more of those shifts into the building at one point. There's greater confluence when um, you, you preach series. Series, secondly, that are promoted on social media, use the platform. I think still is, is one of the most underestimated and cheapest mediums to get your message across. We've done you know, some television, we've done uh, radio for years, and social media still to me again, is one of the best mediums to uh, promote those series uh, you know, that you're doing. Now, that's holding the conversation. I'm sure there'll be another app session on that and the white noise out there because everybody's doing, I mean, you, you can't just upload preaching clips, um, but um, it, it does go a long way to promote the series that you're doing because you get the multiple shifts in the building at one time. Also, now this is, gets real corny, but it works, all right? Um, stagger special services, stagger them. You know, I remember when I started attempting to break this barrier, I just put all of the special services. I said, you know what? I don't want to deal with this all month long, so I'm going to do it all on one good Sunday. We're going to be there longer on the first Sunday. You know, so first Sunday is going to be communion. First Sunday, we're going to do some baby dedications. First Sunday, we're going to make sure we stagger baptisms, and that's going to be a big day. What I found is each one of those things brings a, a natural, organic harvest of people in, or not normally in your church, right? So as opposed to cramming all those things on one uh, Sunday or putting all of those events in the evening. And I get it. You know, we want to get people in and out in the hour 15 or hour third, whatever it is that you do for something less than that. Right. But 
it goes a long way to incorporate some of those things, maybe one at a time, in your actual service because it brings people that wouldn't be in your uh, come th through your doors organically. And again, this is not based on ads or advertisement. These are people that have a, a one degree of separation away from the church anyway. So with that said, um, you know, make sure you do more of uh, that where you can. Um, baptisms, dedications, kids presentations, that's a big one. You know, all of your crazy relatives come to church when little Pookie and them are singing. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, guest artist, make sure you spread that out. All right, count your average. Another thing I would add to this to take us out of some of the depression that associate, uh, associated with these barriers, right, is count your average online giving units in your Sunday morning total as it relates to even the attendance. Think about doing that because a lot more people are going to online and some of what you're experiencing is not just the classic, you know, you know 750, thousand barrier that they taught about this time five years ago. Some of what you're experiencing is that your congregation has just shifted to online platforms. And, you know, people are frustrated with that. I ask the question, are they contributing financially? They're engaged, many of them. Now, I understand there's a theological conversation surrounding, you know, incarnational presence and attendance, and we push for that. But what I'm suggesting is some of the gap that you see is because people are engaging through different mediums. So don't so feel so bad um, about that. Don't fight it. Make each step toward connection to the church clear from becoming a family member to serving to leadership. What does that pipeline look like? And can you make that clear? If you can make that clear, more people will be engaged in the process. There's another app session on closing the back door, but that is often the challenge. I don't care how great the worship is or the preaching oratory is, is a matter of time before people will drift if they're not connected in a significant way. So with that said, um, you know, we'll add that. All right. Just fast tracking this. We have a few more minutes, but don't take relational dynamic shifts personally. At this barrier, relational dynamics will shift. People who, you know, will want to create what they've had as opposed to think of the prophetic possibility. Think of the prophetic possibility. Um, vision is a video, not a snapshot. It's a video, not a, not a portrait. And quite honestly, it evolves as time goes on. One of my mentors says that most people have a snapshot of what the church was when they joined. Who you were when their, when their life was touched. And that's, that's why they bought in. But realizing that, that, that it is not, the journey is not a snapshot. It's not a portrait, but, but it's, it's, it's a video. When that happens, when people see that sort of transition, it changes relational dynamics and things have to be recalibrated. One of the biggest challenges I see is people take that personally when they, when they hit this threshold and they begin to hold the reins tighter because lack of trust sets in. This is when we have to push in and still, in the midst of relational dynamics shifting, we have to trust that we can still delegate uh, um, uh, ministry to people. All right? The pulse issue. 
You have to move from a felt sense only, being able to come in and read the climate and assuming you know where everyone is or where, what season you're in in the life of the church. That's great. I believe in that. It's significant. But at this barrier, you have to move from felt sense only to empirical data concerning where people really are, because your felt sense will be wrong. You look at the crowd and they look like they're getting ready to pass out. And it's because the AC is not on all the way. You know, it's too hot in the house and you're taking it personally. There's a spirit of heaviness in this place. No, it's not. No. <laughs> the AC was broken in the house. Yours was working on stage, right? And so there has to be, again, empirical data concerning where people are. What is your method? The question is, what is your method for measuring? What is your method for measuring? And what is the system of delivery to get the information from the people to yourself? Because you not only need to be able to observe the spiritual climate, but you need to know, have empirical data, what's happening in the house. What are people feeling? What are they going through? Creating, and again, there's several different ways to do this. Some people, it's digital. Some people still have, churches still have boxes on the back, you know, suggestion cards or boxes or comment uh, boxes. Whatever works best for you in your context, do it. But you have to have a sense of um, what's happening empirically in the house. Be intentional about student ministries. This is one of the areas people just, just, just don't invest enough in. People will settle for a church that resonates less with them and more with their children every time. People endure messages that they're not loving. Worship, maybe that's a little bit out of their, their sweet spot. Because when their kids jump in the car and scream, I had the best time in my life. Um, they'll make that a priority. Flip side is, I mean, the season of life of our church where we were literally witnessing or experiencing uh, supernatural miracles for about two months straight. I mean, bodies being healed, um, marriages, uh, just, just, I'm, I'm talking about where the presence of God was so palpable, so tangible, people would fall walking in. Crazy backstory. And get up, admit affairs, and reconcile without a counselor. And have gone on to be some of the strongest um, marriages we've ever experienced. I mean, just without question, for a couple months straight. But, but what I found is, even in that environment, even in that climate, with great worship, our, our worship experience is, 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 is pretty, I, I say so myself, it's pretty, pretty good. The presence of God is felt there. Very few, rarely do people leave saying, you know, we wasted our time. But even with all that said, again, we started to see a decline as we got to this barrier because we weren't prioritizing children's ministry. And so parents were leaving the worship experience saying, oh, my gosh, that was amazing. And the kids were saying, I never want to come back here again. It was boring. The B word, the other B word, it's, 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 it's just as bad. I mean, if you start hearing kids, if kids start saying it's boring, it's a matter of time before uh, uh, parents prioritize. And there's still some that'll rock with you, but, but quite honestly, most will, um, most will, uh, will, will move on. Many will move on. All right, corporate theme. Try to look like your next place and not like your last place. In terms of corporate theme, try to look like. There, there, there's an aesthetic to your next place. There's an aesthetic to 
in many respects, and I don't I mean it's different every place, but the churches that break certain barriers, there's, there's in, 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 this, in a general sense, there's a credibility and there's an aesthetic that comes with that. It doesn't have to be, it can be one that fits your context. I'm not talking about a warehouse with, with, with intelligent lighting that may not be, maybe more high church or whatever it is, but there's an aesthetic, there, there's congruency, right? And an aesthetic, it's, there's not as much, there's a corporate theme is a better word. You know, some are experiencing growth, but, you know, your, your offering envelopes, you know, don't match, <laughs> you know, the, 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 you have different logos on the offering envelope because you bought 20,000, you've only gone through 10,000, but you changed your, you know, your theme for the projector and it's a completely different logo. I mean, you know, again, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit for effect, but again, you don't want to look like your last place. You want to look like your new place. Um, it's like dress. If you've ever seen someone with a, 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 a you know, a, a $5,000 suit, you know, it's like, that's clean, man. But you look down and, you know, you're like, what happened to those shoes, you know? Right. It, it, the, the crazy thing is, now, unless it's a distressed look, that that's what they're going for. You know, that's a look, too. That's a vibe, too, right? But my point is, the, you automatically, even without being materialistic or judgmental, you start getting a little suspicious. Mm -hmm. Just simply because there's incongruency. You start wondering, did he steal the suit? You know, how do you, this is not a thing, because there's incongruencies. People's minds are wired for incongruency. And so when they walk in and you're speaking about your ministry at another level, but half of the operation looks like your last place, people become disoriented and it lacks, for them, they won't say it, they won't speak it, but it lacks credibility. You know, we had a contemporary expression in our ushers at one point still had, I mean, we were high tech. Our ushers still had the white, I don't even know if you know about the ushers with the white gloves. That may not be your context. And we had people coming in seriously saying, you know, we had unchurched people coming in. Even when we gave communion, little things like, you know, I was cool with you guys. True story. They said until you started popping pills and taking shots. They were talking about communion, y'all. I mean, they didn't know what was going on. Seriously. I mean, people that came in as visitors, that's a true story. Lady said we were cool until we started, took, took the wafer. He said, you guys popped that pill and they took that shot. We had other people come in and see the ushers with those, those gloves on. And the only point of reference they had was for mining. They, were like, they have mines at the front door, <laughs> greeting people as they come in. It was incongruent for them. We realized that, again, the church with a history, we had moved on. As we, what time is about? Is, are we coming up on the time? What time? Three minutes? Oh, okay. Wow. Let me, let me get through this. All right. So we want to make sure we keep it congruent. Um, around... Uh, personnel barriers. Let me just go through this really quickly. Think as much about who as what. We spend so much time in ministry thinking about what we're going to do. Think about, think about the who. Uh, who do I have to accomplish what I want to do? Let's think intentionally about the what to break that barrier. Upgrade volunteers and staff through asset mapping. You have people in your house that are already at another level, whether it's of graphic design, creative ministry, um, to bring it into, again, uh, uh, even more credible space as it relates to that theme. All right, hires. Engaging catalytic building blocks and not band-aids is needed uh, at this phase. Um, please don't do the call-alls uh, up until this barrier, in many respects, is whosoever will, but the people that will take you beyond this barrier are people who will not come from call-alls, but you have to personally solicit uh, and engage. This is the place where there's a need for specialists as opposed to generalists. 
people that, uh, again, specialize. Again, we want, we, we've hired in years past, you know, based on how many hats one person can wear. We thought we were consolidating the money, right? Here's where we need to break that up and begin to hire specialists as opposed to generalists, all right? And then check in with your uh, current leaders just to see if they're ready to move into the next place because, again, crossing this threshold, your tomorrow may look different than your yesterday. You want to make sure that they're not stuck on a snapshot, but they're continuing with the video. Cult cultivating a culture of unity in your leaders and congregation. If there's any growth barrier where they're shaking on the ship, it's this one. It's more important here at the thousand threshold than ever before. This is where your heart and intent can be lost in translation and where many organizations stress fractures begin to uh, manifest. So you have to really be intentional about that first follower uh, principle, that Simon Sinek, leaders don't follow the leader, they follow the first follower, one who models the heart of the leader for uh, the, the rest of uh, the leadership. We'll leave you with this, but um, while there's so many technical things that can be done, tweaks to enhance um, that, that, that barrier or bring us beyond that barrier, quite honestly, every barrier that we spoke about today for us was broken uh, first in some shape, form, or fashion in response to um, something prompted spiritually. And don't have time to unpack it now, our time's up. But if you look at the book of Acts, 3,000 were added to the church that first day. But if you go before 3,000 were added to the church, major growth spike. You find that there was the spirit that fell on uh, Peter, the disciples. He preached, the spirit fell on them. But if you go back before the spirit, and that's where it fell, that's where most people begin, right? All, you know, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. But if you go back before that, you'll find that there was a conversation that emerged out of prayer. They were praying as they were seeking God's face. He gave them revelation. The revelation was that they needed to add one to the disciples to fill Judas's spot, if you remember that. The number 12, divine order. So out of prayer, God gives them revelation of what their next practical move is to be. And when that order is set, then the glory of the Lord falls and the growth is added from there. I don't have time to give the full testimony, but what took us from one full service, one full service and that 8 o'clock service I told you about, people just love Jesus, a handful of them just love Jesus, to, to three vibrant services, with all these strategies and systems, it's great, wonderful. We continue to, to strive for those. But what did it was a simple word that emerged from a time of prayer. It, it was it was in a church service, and it was a specific call to a prayer meeting. And again, following that divine prompt, it set the motion that two months of just crazy, I mean, unusual revival in our midst, in our entire city. It sparked something in our entire city. And while we were intentional about our processes, while we tweaked all these methods, while we incorporated techniques, quite honestly, it was the prompt that came out of a place of prayer that gave us the practical things that we should do. Um, 
that again allowed us to break that 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 barrier that 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 we were stuck at for uh, for for some years. And so one, one thing I want to leave you with is you know don't underestimate the distinction. That's one I miss. What what has God distinctively called you to do? What's your difference? Invest in your difference. That 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 those things that can be brought from eights to to, to tens and not you know, the fives and the sixes. When you're crossing the threshold, you can't be a jack of all trades, but you, you need to do things well, but focus on your difference. And often that difference comes out of the place of prayer. Leave the room for the Holy Spirit to give us uh, guidance as it relates to the practical things that will break us beyond those barriers. I wish I had more time to unpack what some of those are, uh, but, but thank you so much. Let me just pray with you. Father, we thank you. We praise you, we glorify you. With this time that you've given us to share together, Lord, and I thank you now for everyone here on the sound of my voice. Lord, while there are systems and practical measures that we can put into place, techniques, and move many of us into that 2% of churches that have broken the thousand member barrier, ultimately we know man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so, Lord, bring us everything we have in the proper relational alignment. Those who will celebrate growth and not demonize it. Help us to get over our hangups, to realize that we can have both depth and growth for greater influence. But then, Lord, give us a willingness to take risk from the revelation that comes out of the posture of prayer. And then, Lord, do what is beyond all of us through all we need. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming Art Conference, visit artconference.com.